Speakers Club podcast. My name is Pierre and I'm your host. We are an official Toastmasters Club and we meet currently only online on the first and third Tuesday of the month. For all information, please go to our website, heartspeakers.org.uk. Today, we do have a very special guest and I will ask you to please welcome our club champion, area champion, and division vice champion for evaluation. Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Pierre. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, First of all, for the benefit of our listeners, I will fully disclose that Rachel and I are friends. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) When uh, a little story behind that, I first came to the UK now almost seven years ago. Wow. And when we moved into our house, as it turns out, Rachel and Simon live, they live literally six houses down from where we were. So we've known each other for quite a while now, which is really awesome. And it's spooky because our children are the same age. They are. That was quite spooky, wasn't it? Yep. And we got married the same year. So we do have a lot in common. Yeah. (laughs) All right. But enough about me. About you, Rachel. Well, let's start about the basic questions. So are you from the Solihull area? No, I'm not from Solihull area. I'm sure uh, there are people out there that recognize I don't have a local accent. I'm from Yorkshire, specifically West Yorkshire. Uh, Gorgeous, gorgeous part of the world. Strongly recommend people to go and visit there. It's beautiful, full of hills and yeah, really lovely people. But I haven't lived there for a long time. Left there when I was 18 to go to university. I've been back for a couple of years, just for a very brief period since then. But generally, I've spent most of my time since I was 18, which is quite a few years ago now, in the Midlands area. And I love it. And I've lived in various parts of the Midlands. So it feels like my home now. Oh, very good. So where did you go to uni? What? What? When did I go to uni? No, where? Uh, where did you? Oh, attend? sorry, I went to Birmingham University, mm-hmm. which is it's a lovely, lovely campus based in Edgbaston, not far from the city centre. Yeah, it's a very lovely part of Birmingham. Oh, what I did. What did you study? I studied something that you know, my husband Simon. He refers to this topic as uh, his quote is, "It's as useful as a chocolate teapot," which I think is a bit harsh. essentially I studied theology theology wow yeah it's a bit different and there's a bit of a story behind that Pierre which is um I loved doing English when I was at school and I was a really avid reader couldn't get enough and then I started to do my A-levels and I took English literature as one of my A-levels and I really enjoyed it but looking back on it maybe I didn't always put in quite as much work during the course (laughs) as I might have done, although I did really enjoy it. And I remember having a conversation with one of my English teachers and I said to her that I was looking at doing English at university. And she said to me, and I can't quote her verbatim, but in my head, it sounds like this, uh, Rachel, you're not gonna get an A, you're not gonna be able to do English at university. 
And that was a real blow, to be honest. I was really surprised, really shocked. Didn't know what to do next, but I knew that I wanted to do something in the arts, you know, on mm -hmm. the arts side of things. I'm not a science person or an engineer or anything like that. And I knew I loved reading, so I wanted to do something fairly literary. And I had a look at lots of different degree subjects and none of them really stood out for me, mm. apart from theology. And I think that's partly because when I was growing up, I went to church. My parents um, were Christians. And so all of that kind of stuff was very familiar to me, although at the time I wasn't as avid as I might have been, I'll be honest. And now I'm totally lapsed, so I don't know what that says about me. But uh, it was it was one of the things that I considered. And actually, I'm really glad that I did take theology. Now it's happened. And, and as an aside, Pierre, I must tell you that I did get an A in my English literature. A -level. <laughs> so there's a bit of a kind of irony there. And yeah. the moral of the story is, you know, don't always listen to people that think they know what you're capable of, because sometimes maybe you need to believe in yourself. I don't know. Indeed. Actually, I was going to ask you, like, what did, what did she mean by that? You're not going to get an A, meaning it was too difficult? I, I don't really know. I think uh, she was my English language teacher and that probably wasn't as much of a strength for me uh, as English literature. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't really know. I think she was basing it on my coursework, as I said, and I, and I worked very hard for my English literature A-level. And maybe, who knows, Pierre, maybe that spurred me on. Maybe that comment helped me to get an A. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, me, yeah. I'm, I'm contrarian. So if somebody tells me I can't do it, usually... <laughs> <laughs> I go the other completely the other way. So yes. Sure. By the way, and Simon, if you're listening, in uh, Belgium, for example, they do give you like a chocolate pot with milk, and then <gasps> the chocolate dissolves with the milk, oh, and that's pretty cool. I would love that. Whenever we can travel again, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you finished with theology. What did you start working right away after uni? I did. I was working through uni as well. I got various jobs in bars and things like that. And when I finished, I think because it was theology and, and because, you know, the vocational, the obvious vocational route is to go into the church, which was not on the cards for me. Right. So I didn't really know what to do at that point. And I ended up working in a shop for a while uh, mm -hmm. as an assistant manager. So that was great experience So in retail. But not really my thing. Kind of I did enjoy the customer aspect of it. Always enjoyed working with people. And then I fell into another job um, where they were looking for an office manager. Mm -hmm. That was in my early 20s. So went to work for it. It was a very small business based in Erdington in North Birmingham. Again, a great experience. It taught me a lot about running businesses because I had suppose exposure to all different aspects of running their business, which was amazing. I worked for a really great guy. And but after two or three years, you know, I just was itching for something else. It just wasn't quite ticking all the boxes, even though it had been a great experience. And at the time I had a friend of a friend and I mentioned that I was looking for jobs and they knew of something that was uh, in the corporate world in a large accountancy firm. And my sister's an accountant, a trained qualified accountant. So mm -hmm. I was able to talk to her a little bit about you know, what's that going to be like in the corporate world? And she gave me a really good understanding of it, went for an interview and got the job. So that was a bit of a shock, to be honest. I don't, I'm not <laughs> sure that I expected it at the time. So I kind of fell into that, really. But I stayed for 15 years, so it must wow. have been good. 
So as an office manager then in uh, Birmingham then. So the office manager was in the small business in Erdington and this role, I started as a supervisor. I think that was my title when I first started. And I, whilst I was there, I was promoted a couple of times. And in the end, I was a senior manager and I had, I think, at the peak, about 1,100 people in my remit. So to look after and a team of 11 to do it. So not many people to look after that many people, if you think about it. Not bad for a theologian, not bad at all. But yeah. uh, you, you didn't decided not to stay in the corporate world. What happened? Uh, well, I've been there for a long time, and I, I mean, I did love my time there. I really enjoyed it, and I've I learned so much, and I really do think it was the making of me. Uh, in terms of my professional and personal development, um, I'm really, really grateful for the experience. Having said that, it was a very, very busy job. I, I was working a ridiculous amount of hours. Mm. Uh, although I did love it, it was still hard going and just constant challenges, which, you know, I think I think there's an understanding in the corporate world that, you know, that's how it is. And often outside the corporate world, that's how it is, too. I think what changed was when we had children and I went part-time, mm-hmm. that became a struggle. So working part-time hours was difficult with, uh, at first, our daughter, and then a couple of years later, followed by our son. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was a real challenge. And I was still working a lot of hours. Yeah. And I was trying to balance looking after the children. And like a lot of working parents do, picking up the children at, say, 5 o'clock, sorting the children out, and then logging on again at 8 o'clock at night till maybe yeah. midnight. Maybe even midnight. And, you know, I did it for a few years and it was okay, but it's really exhausting after a while. Mm-hmm. And there were a few internal changes that happened within the organisation. And I think it just it just became clear to me at some point that, you know, I'm not I'm not getting out of this what I was getting out of it before. And I think it, there was a clear message at probably about 12 months before I left that it was it was time to think about doing something else. Um, your husband was at the same firm or was he a different firm was what at the same firm sorry was simon working at the same firm oh yeah so yeah uh, yeah, that's where i met i forgot about that small point (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i met simon there um Mm -hmm. back in uh 2000 i think that would have been yeah we we met by going on the 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 organization did lots of work for charity it was really great in terms of um you know, helping in the local community. And we did a charity walk for St. Basil's, the homeless charity in Birmingham. 27, I think maybe we walked 28 miles in 12 hours. So we did the three peak walk in Yorkshire. So again, back to Yorkshire. Nice. Uh, Gorgeous, gorgeous walk. Absolutely lovely. If anyone hasn't done it, but that was tiring. Yeah. But that's (laughs) where we, that's how we got to know each other on that. Very nice. The reason I'm asking is that you, I know you decided to, uh, run your own business did you make the decision with Simon because I know he wanted to run his own business as well yeah you know that's an interesting one because from the I suppose from the moment we met I knew that at some point he wanted to run his own business he's always wanted to be an entrepreneur and do his own thing whereas for me I always thought I'd be employed and as I say the organization I worked at I thought I'd be there forever because I just loved it so much So it was a bit of a shock to us both, I think, actually, me saying, oh, I'd really like to run my own business. And I didn't really see that coming. But it came as a result of one of the things that I did while I was employed was a lot of coaching for my team. So the Mm -hmm. the organisation had very much coaching culture 
and coaching was very much part of what everybody did and I loved it I really enjoyed it I did a lot of training as well and facilitation of things and I just loved working with people and I suppose helping people release their potential for want of a better phrase and so when I left there I didn't really know what I was going to do next but one of the things that I, I took some time out after I left and I realised that I just enjoyed coaching so much that I really wanted to make this part of my future life at the time. And so I went and got qualified as a coach. So although I'd had a lot of coaching experience, I didn't actually have a formal qualification. Mm -hmm. And it was really important to me that I did do that so that I yeah, was doing all the right things for my clients and, and so that I knew that I was doing the right things as well. So I went and got qualified. And at that point, it was when I realised okay, so the next step is setting up a business then. Right, <laughs> how do I do that? What, what's involved? How does that work? And that was, I think, four or five years ago now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really interesting journey. And how is it being your own boss? You find more flexibility, the thing you were looking for? Oh, yeah. I mean, the flexibility is fabulous. So the fact that I've been able to I suppose work life work my life around work and I still do work sometimes in the evening but it's entirely my choice when I do so I don't feel pressured by anybody else to do so so that's mm -hmm. I suppose a result of my own choices and I think when you become a business owner one of the things you're aware of is that everything is about your choices and so making the best choices is really important but at the same time knowing that you're never going to make perfect choices and so being able to learn from the decisions that you make is really, really important. So I do, I do love it actually. It's, it's not easy. I don't think running any business is easy. I didn't realize there were so many things I didn't realize like how much time you need to spend doing marketing and running a business. I think I thought at the beginning, I'd just be spending most of my time coaching. <laughs> so that was a, that was an eye opener, but I've yeah, loved that's... it. And I, I've learned so much from doing it. I really have. And I'm still learning. I, I think the, there's a point where I, well, I'm guessing that I'll always be learning about how to run a business. Yeah, yeah. my wife and I were, you know, were there when you started transitioning to your own. Um, you were. You know, being yeah. your own bosses. And it's been, uh, it's been amazing to watch. And again, more power to you both. I think it's, um, it's really great. Oh, thank you. Oh, yes. And then the pieces start to fall together because uh, here, obviously, we always talk about the Toastmasters journey. So was that part of your uh, coaching plan to become a better speaker? Yeah, I think maybe I'm not sure how explicit a plan it was. I think what happened was when I left work, I felt a sort of skills gap. I was aware of a skills gap. And I'd had, I'd done a lot of presentations while I was at work. So I was mm -hmm. quite experienced as a presenter, but at the same time, it was a bit like when I needed to do the coaching qualification to make sure I was doing things right. In a way, I didn't want to let that presenting skill slip. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, I just, I remember that I found Toastmasters, Heart of England Speakers, purely by accident one day looking at Facebook and I just saw that someone who who is Mish who a lot of people in our in our club know she and I didn't know her at the time she had posted about this amazing group based in Solihull and how great it was for people to improve their speaking skills and at that moment I thought I've just got to go I've got to go and and do this and find out a bit more about the group I liked the idea of being with other people in the community 
mm-hmm. um, because you know, it's really nice to be connected to, to people within the community. And I really like the idea that I might improve my speaking skills because although I'd done a lot of presentations, I mean, there's still so much to learn with any speaking skill. There's, there's just always more to learn. Indeed. So I took myself along and that was, yeah, I think that was, I think that was 2016. So that was five years ago. And yeah. yeah, and I've been there ever since. Yeah. And again, for our listeners, I would like to point out that it's Rachel's fault that I joined. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take credit for that. No, I, I can't take any credit for that. Yeah. I'm so glad you did, though. We wouldn't be here, would we? No. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm uh, my wife back in this, when we were in the States, my wife did uh, join Toastmasters and she told me, hear that I should join and then you know you were into it so well everything kind of fell in place right yeah (laughs) very well so you were a member and then you became an officer right what was your first role so my role was uh, what Toastmasters call vice president of membership so lots of roles have the words vice president in them and I didn't really know what that was all about But what I learned was that it was really about the people side of our clubs Mm -hmm. and helping new members, I suppose, helping new members to want to join and helping them to understand what we do and how we do it and why it might be a really good thing for other people to join. And so that goes back when we were meeting face to face, which feels Mm -hmm. like some time ago now. And I'm looking forward to doing that another time, hopefully this year. Indeed. So the VPM, the Vice President of Membership, would be the person that welcomes everyone on the door, makes sure they've got a seat, hopefully make sure they're sat next to someone who can explain the meeting. Because I'm sure you remember, Pierre, from when you joined, you know, our meetings are amazing, but they do need a little bit of explanation sometimes. It can be a little bit, um, you know, overwhelming for people when they come in and and, and experience the meeting. So it's really important that, that guests, feel welcome and that they understand that here's an agenda and this is what we do and importantly this is why we do it because not everything is obvious I think in terms of why we do things but once you've had an explanation I think it all makes sense and what I noticed was that once guests have been a couple of times it just starts to make sense and and people often see oh this is how I I could do this you know there's that sense of okay I'm really scared about presenting at the moment because we do get a lot of guests who are really nervous I mean mm-hmm. I was nervous when I first joined oh, I mean like likewise exactly and and it's just so important to join somewhere where you feel it's okay to be nervous it's okay to not know what's going to come out of your mouth when you stand up and speak but here's the system here's the structure and the processes that are going to help you develop skills and become a better speaker yeah no the uh whenever we had in public meetings i mean everybody is so friendly and so helpful so yeah. you never feel not welcome or out of place it's i think that's really one of the strengths of our clubs yeah, in agree. that respect i absolutely agree yeah yeah so then you became our president you're a what they call immediate past president because you were president from in the last uh, cycle so how was your experience as uh, running the club it was fabulous I really, really enjoyed it. And I mean, the sad thing was that we went into lockdown, I think, in the fourth quarter of my presidency, or perhaps just before that. 
and the pandemic of course hit and then we went to online meetings well within a within a week or two we'd gone online so it was it was a wonderful experience I loved um I suppose being able to just be the person that does welcome guests so so not in a vice president membership way but in a you know the president is often looked to as the role model and uh, someone that you know people want to hopefully aspire to be a president one day I mean I had no idea when I joined that I would end up end up being president and so I hoped that there's some role modeling that happens there that other people when they join actually could imagine you know maybe within a few years they'll be president too because it's a it's a role that could be there for anybody no i think what uh toastmasters offers is the opportunity to try something that you would not necessarily do yourself in the corporate world for example mm -hmm. me as as the vp of pr i mean i never thought about doing flyers or hosting podcasts but <laughs> It's a, it's a really, you know, safe environment to experiment. So I definitely would encourage any members to try to be a president or vice president or podcast host. And I mean, it's a really, it's a really safe environment and it yeah. feels safe to do yeah. it. And nobody looks down on you for trying. And it's, it's, I think that's probably the strongest point of our club. You know? Right. Yeah. And I think, Uh, yeah, your point about being able to develop new skills, it's its just such a useful thing to do. And in ways, as you said, that you might not necessarily get through your own employment or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Working with different people outside your, your normal environment, that can be really inspiring, I think. I mean, when I was president, I just had the most amazing committee and it, and it, it just goes from strength to strength every year. And I think, you know, teamwork, working together, It all makes such a difference. And it's such, as you said, it's such a positive experience. Sometimes at work, we're trying to do things, but it isn't always the most positive experience, perhaps because of certain dynamics or just many other factors that are at play. But at, at Toastmasters, when you're doing things like that, it does tend to be a really positive experience, a very life-enhancing experience. That's certainly what I found anyway. Yeah, very well. Okay, now we get into the crux of our topic, evaluations. Obviously, oh. Toastmasters, we are a speaking club, so we do practice our public speaking. But what I found out personally, and I'm sure you'll back me up on that, is a lot of what you do is paying really close attention to what other people are saying. What's your take on that? I absolutely agree. I think it's one of the unseen ways in which we learn and develop as Toastmasters or public speakers. I think there are some very obvious ways. So taking on different roles in the meeting. So for example, being the Toastmaster or the host of the meeting, you, you know, it's very obvious how you might be developing facilitation skills and that kind of thing. When you're doing your own speeches, it, again, it's very obvious. I think evaluations sometimes isn't as obvious until you've seen quite a few of them. Although you are giving a speech, uh, it's a three minute speech. So it's a very fast sort of, you know, it's a very condensed amount of time. And I think you're right, the observation of others, I think that is such an unseen part of the learning that by watching and observing what other people do, we really start to learn ourselves. 
And I know that you know this, Pierre, that when we give evaluations, we talk about what people did well and we talk about their strengths. Mm -hmm. And we also are encouraged to find what we call recommendations or things I like to call them things that would make the speech even better next time. And I think sometimes it's it's looking for those recommendations that help us. So recognizing someone's strengths and what they did really well, but also finding areas where actually it would be even better in their next speech. I think that is a real, just being able to do that and go through that thought process yourself. I think it really does enhance your own skills. Absolutely. Yeah, because when somebody gives a good speech and you're thinking, geez, what what kind of recommendation could I give? And then that gets really tricky at times. Yeah, absolutely. It does. So I'm guessing and I'm pretty sure that all this active listening, how did it translate into your coaching work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think my coaching skills do help me with evaluations, I think, because in, in coaching, we're taught to listen at different levels. There isn't just one level of listening. There are, there are several. And it does hone your observation skills as well as your listening skills. So I think those are, but those are skills that anyone can develop, not, not just as coaches. Um, but I think it's definitely benefited me in just being able to really sort of focus in on someone's speech rather and, and listen at different levels and sort of observe at different levels. And one of the things that I suppose if I if I had a tip for people, one of the things that I tend to do in when I'm doing an evaluation or when I'm when I'm listening to someone's speech and writing, uh, starting to plan my evaluation, one of the things I do is is almost to zoom in and then zoom out again. So mm. what I mean by that is to zoom in is in to really look very closely at what they're doing and to really take that in on a, almost a moment by moment basis. So what's their face doing, what are their facial expressions, what's their tone of voice like, what am I hearing in their voice, what are their gestures and how are they moving about, and thinking about a sense of congruence with all of that. Does all of that make sense? Does what they're doing and what they're saying make sense? And then starting to zoom out a little bit and thinking about what the structure of their speech is, what's the purpose of their speech, does it flow? Does it make sense? Are they going in you know, ways that I would expect them to go or not expect them to go? And then also the real zoom out, I suppose, is that I actually take my eyes away from them. I, I stop looking for a while at what they're doing and I just allow my listening skills. So, so not looking all the time at what they're doing, but looking away and again, just noticing through listening, what am I hearing now? Because I often find that when I'm looking and listening, I don't always tune in as well to when I'm not looking and listening. You can pick up even more when you're just listening. So that would be a, a key tip is to zoom in and then zoom out a little bit. Wow, I think those are excellent tips because uh, hopefully our listeners can check your, your club evaluation of Phil. And I thought you honed in really quickly on you know Phil's yeah speech and his the way he presented it I know you're really enthusiastic about it and then I can see how you zoom back out and said okay this is the overall structure yeah so you kept so now we we go to the uh, the famous contest so why why did you decide to enter the club contest <laughs> that's yeah you know I think I've 
I think after five years at Toastmasters, I think I probably thought it's about time, Rachel, that you entered a contest. <laughs> and I think the online, being online really helped because as you know, Pierre, Toastmasters contests tend to be physical normally when we're not in COVID times. Yep. And sometimes they can be, uh, well, they're often on weekends, which isn't always ideal from a family perspective, mm-hmm. but also they can be somewhere else in you know, some part of the country. Uh, and again, you know, it's just figuring out practically, is that going to work from a family perspective and all that kind of stuff. And this year, because they were online, I had I felt like I had no real excuse not to join. And I mean, I've, I've done a lot of evaluations now. And I think also my confidence was at a point where I felt that I would be able to represent the club well if I did enter. So I think there was a bit about do I feel that I'm OK and, and confident to enter this competition? And so I thought, well, yeah, let's make the most out of being online and not having to travel to to do the contest. And also, I think, just wanting to represent the club and do my best and just see where we went, really. Well, I think you did us proud. So did you enter the one you... Okay, so you won our club competition, hands down. That was a masterful, if I might (laughs) say so myself. (laughs) Then when you get into the area contest, so are you keeping the same the same way of approaching a speech or are you thinking I'm going to change something up? You know, the funny thing is, it's only with reflection of, of the whole process that it's come to light how I do some of this stuff. I'm, I'm quite an intuitive person and I don't always have a process or a structure. Sometimes things just come to me in the moment and I just think I'll just go with it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, so whether or not I did the same thing, I think probably broadly speaking, I did the same thing. I remember that after the club contest, I, in fact, straight after the club contest, I wrote myself some notes about what I'd like to do differently next time or things that I felt had worked So it's not so much that I had a a sort of refined process. It was just more that I was able to reflect on what I felt worked and what I would do a little bit differently next time. And I think I did the same again between the area contest and the division contest. And again, just it's sort of refining your thinking as you go along. So I don't have a sort of and I don't I don't know to what extent you can with evaluations because you do have to be so in the moment. I don't have a sort of step-by-step process of how I do it Mm -hmm. I just know that there are certain things that might jump out to me in someone's speech that I then want to pick up on and and talk about Um, and I think I think your intention is also important and I've always had an intention of when you do an evaluation yes it's a speech and yes you are there wanting to represent the club if you're at a contest level but I think for me it's more fundamental than that it's about giving uh, some a gift to somebody you know because the speaker has stood up and allowed you to evaluate their speech and that can be a little bit vulnerable you know that we're allowing someone to tell us what they think about us Mm -hmm. and I think for me it's always been important to recognize that and to treat it as a gift, which is, you know, here I am giving you a gift to help you, the speaker, develop your speaking skills. And that's why I think you mentioned enthusiasm before. And I think I think that's really important for me, being able to demonstrate that you are enthusiastic about what someone's just said. It doesn't mean it was a perfect speech, but you can see and hear so many of the skills that they've got, so many of their strengths, 
And equally, as we talked about recommendations before, equally, there are a couple of things that would just make it even better the next time that they do it. And hopefully that, that comes from a really good intention of wanting to encourage and develop others. I think those are really sage words of advice. Thank you so much. So you fell short of the division. You came in second. Boo, yeah. you should have come in first. <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed to get to second place, to be honest. I was, it, was a, it was a great competition and the, some amazing evaluators there. So I, I, mean, I was chuffed a bit with second place. I mean, it's, again, that they get fabulous at doing evaluations. When you look, compare yourself to the winner, for example, what do you think you need to focus on more? Is there a certain area you need to practice? Yeah, I think that's an interesting one because I'm, I'm remember, what I remember from the winner was that he did seem to have almost a process to what he did. And it seemed to come out very quite fast in terms of, you know, his brain was able to sort of process very quickly. And I'm probably, I'm just a different type of evaluator. So I don't think I'll ever evaluate in the way that the winner evaluates. Um, but he just seemed to have a very polished way of delivering an evaluation, which, and it did bring out so many of the aspects of the speaker's talk and he gave some really good recommendations and I think often you know being able to spend a little bit a little bit more time on those can really enhance someone's evaluation because you're really able to offer that you know how it could be different next time mm. so I'm probably not I'm probably not massively clear but I suppose what I'm saying is I recognize that evaluators have different strengths and different you know your character comes out when you're doing an evaluation. And I think there's something about maximizing that and making the most of it whilst being open to how can I develop my own evaluation strengths? Yeah. For example, in our club, we do have a pretty standard form of evaluation. So form, content, and delivery. Mm. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think if you're beginning your journey, it's a really nice yeah uh, formula to follow but i Indeed. think for more advanced evaluations i think they they tend to be and i think they should be more of a personal nature of what what you're doing which i think is really as i said more personal it's hard to describe <laughs> yeah no I, I know what you mean and I, I completely agree that when you're less experienced as an evaluator having that simple three-part structure to follow is incredibly helpful because you don't have a lot of time after the speaker's finished to the time that you're evaluating. And as a, as a new Toastmaster, I remember doing Toastmaster, uh, sorry, evaluations years ago. And we used to have a break in the middle, Pierre. If you remember our actual meetings, we had a break. Yep. And I would sit there in the sort of 10, 15 minute break and I would write an evaluation. And that didn't feel like enough time. <laughs> I wanted more time. And I was yeah, so yeah. nervous about standing up and I was thinking, I haven't had enough time. Oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? And now, because you know we're online, we don't even have a break anymore because it just works better for the meetings. Yeah. And so the, the point of you know how much time an evaluator has is, is even less than it used to be. And so it can be very nerve wracking. So the idea of having a three-part process is so super simple easy to follow I think it's amazing I think it's brilliant for particularly developing evaluators but I agree with you that 
when you're wanting to hone and, and take your evaluation skills to the next level, I think what you want to perhaps do a bit less of is the obvious. Yeah. Um, so, so not being as obvious about a structure is probably a better way of doing it. And, you know, as I said, starting to understand your own way of evaluating and, and your strengths in evaluating and making the most of those. And I think, again, you know, that's that idea of zooming out and just asking yourself some questions. You know, what do I think the purpose of this person's speech is? And how am I seeing or hearing the purpose of their speech? And is that congruent with everything that they're doing? Because sometimes, you know, someone can have a really fantastic speech, you know, as in if you read it, you'd go, wow, that's an amazing speech. But their delivery of the speech might not be quite as good as what they're saying. And so it's noticing, you know, these different aspects of, of how people deliver the speech and the holistic. So it's just noticing the big picture, the holistic aspects of their speech, and then being able to give them some really specific recommendations about what they could do differently. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Again, for anybody who starts their journey, I would say maybe, you know, it's like playing an instrument, I guess. You want to you know, learn how everybody plays it and then you can find your own style. That's a great analogy. Absolutely. Yeah, you've nailed it there. Yeah. All right. Well, again, I'd like to thank Rachel for all those awesome tips on evaluation and for sharing her story. Would you like, how can people find you as far as your own website and your coaching, if they're interested in talking to you? Oh, so my coaching business uh, is called Pursuit Coaching and Development. And that is largely aimed at women who want to pursue a career in leadership or perhaps already are leaders in their own field and want some help from a coaching perspective, tackling some of the many challenges in leadership. I also do work with organisations as well. So I do work with men as well as women, but I just target my business more towards women in leadership. And so I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. And I also have another business, if I'm allowed to mention that quickly. By all means. Which is, yeah, so that one's with my business partner and that one's called Summit Human Potential. And that's with leaders, teams and talent. So that's organisation, larger organisations. And we also have a signature development program for women as well, which again is about women in leadership. Um, but that, that's just you know, aimed at a different target audience, essentially. Very well. So Pursuit Coaching and what's the other one again? Pursuit Coaching and Development is my own business. Yep. And then Summit Human Potential is my joint business with my business partner, Roz. Very well. So once again, I'd like to thank Rachel for all those wonderful tips and wonderful stories. Once again, this has been the Heart Speakers Toastmasters podcast with our guest, Rachel. Please come join us on our meetings every first and third Tuesday, uh, Tuesday of the month. And until the next time, bye-bye.